0: I would encourage you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which is a verse of Scripture of no mystery to you and no surprise. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be adequate, equipped for every good work. My title of the sermon this morning is The Implications of Christian Training. And it was my privilege back in June of last year to bring a sermon to you that I called The Value of Christian Training. And so we're going to explore the implications this morning. Implications meaning that there's something more than what is stated, that there is something that is closely associated with that word training that we normally do not think about too much, and hopefully this morning we will add some clarity to that. As you look at the verse of Scripture of training and righteousness in 2 Timothy, there are four there's a fourfold purpose to scripture divinely inspired, given to us, and useful to us in the way that we live our being day by day. And first of all, It is profitable or useful for teaching, which means for doctrine, as the old King James says. Or rather, another way of saying it, it gives us the very principles of our faith. It reveals to us the truth of God. Also, it is profitable for reproof, which means that it is profitable or useful to rebuke those in error. And to prove them that they need to rethink what they might be saying. Unfortunately, in our day and age, there's many who need to be rebuked by the scripture because they have departed from the truth. And I would caution you, in every sense of the word, to have a discerning spirit by the guidance of the Holy Spirit as you listen to some who have departed from that truth. They are rebuked by the scriptures of God. Thirdly, there is a usefulness for correction, which means we redirect or we admonish. The scriptures do that to us as we read them. They admonish us, they encourage us, they direct us to what is true and good and pure and lovely. And then lastly, as we talked about last year, and as we're going to talk about in some detail this morning, the Scripture is useful or profitable for training in righteousness because all of us not only need to be taught, we need to be trained. And we're going to explore that in greater detail this morning. So I would encourage you to think in, in these terms, that there's something more to our training than what we usually think. Uh, sometimes we don't even think about training at all. We just think that somehow we're going to learn by osmosis, I guess, and yet we need to be trained in the scriptures. And that's what this is all about this morning. My standing here to proclaim, hopefully, the truth of God in every sense and all of its fullness is for a purpose. Teaching is the impartation of knowledge. In the scriptures, about six times in the New Testament, it talks about the knowledge to grow in the knowledge of truth and that is mentioned several times in the letters of Paul as well as Peter but we need to have the impartation of knowledge by the teaching of the Word of God in all of its fullness teaching normally is associated with the academic world we think in terms of how we grew up we went to school We were taught, we learned, we hopefully learned how to apply this to our life. And maybe as a consequence of the teaching, it even gave direction to our lives as to what God was desiring from us. But training is more than that. Training is the practical application of what we are taught. We need to know how to use it and how to apply it to life so that the life we live as disciples of Jesus Christ might be the fulfillment of all that he expects and hopes of us. So training is normally associated with uh, the commercial or the sports world. We think about athletes who have to train for the Olympics or athletes at earlier ages that train to compete in particular sports. That training is important. It cannot be accomplished without training. And so we look at this in the Christian context, and we need to understand that there is training for us through the scriptures in how to re- live uprightly in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ. Let's talk about some examples through scripture. Because, by the way, I'm also borrowing from some of those same visuals that we did last year at this time, but hopefully we're going to show a different emphasis on this and how it might apply to us in a different way than what we talked about last year. The scripture tells us in Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's a familiar verse of scripture to all of us. We've heard that. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. It's a scripture with a promise, and I believe that that's true if we train, truly train, our children in the ways of the Lord. Our Master and Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 6.40, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. If we are fully trained, we learn how to become like the teachers who have instructed us. And hopefully they've instructed us in a way, in every sense of the word, that's true and right and right in in light of the Scriptures. And if they do so, we will grow up to them. that's another promise that Jesus himself made. Also in Hebrews 5.14, it says, But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. And again, this is the aspect of our training is that we learn how to not only apply these things, but that our senses, which means essentially our mind, our will, our emotions, our very being learns how to apply this and how to live in a way that is exemplary of our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus. Training also involves practice, and this is a furtherance of that same verse of Scripture. And it says here, for though by this time, in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews said this, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Again, solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. We need to be trained to discern good and evil. We learn that through the Scriptures. That's what gives us, through the Holy Spirit's guidance, the ability to discern, to understand, to know the truth when we hear the truth, because the truth is what sets us free. You know, when we talk about training and because of practice, it says. It's a thing that uh, we don't like to think of often. It would be wonderful if we could learn and just hear it one time and then know how to apply it for the rest of our life. But it requires some practice. I can remember many years ago, more than I'd like to know, when I was taking some piano lessons from Rowena. I thought at about age 50 they would be interesting to go back and learn how to play the piano like my mother wanted me to do when I was about 10 years of age, but I was too stubborn to cooperate. didn't want to practice. I had other things I would rather have done. I can remember, because of practice, finally building a repertoire of about six hymns. And Rowena was diligent in helping me understand how to do that. The secret was, in a lot of ways, being able to get the fingering correct so that your fingers were at the appropriate place where you could play the chords and the keys in the appropriate order. But it was more to it than that. You needed the ability to read music easily, and that was not something that was given to me as a gift. That was anything but that. I had only the choice of memorizing so I could finally put the hands together, the left hand and the right hand, and be able to, to, uh, to complete a piece of music in somewhat decent a fashion. But it required practice. And when we practice, we are rewarded with success in every sense of the word. There's nothing we can really accomplish in terms of how we are taught and how we learn unless we apply it with respect to a practice. So practice is a continuing act, and it also leads to maturity as that verse of scripture tells us. Let's look at another verse of scripture. This is found in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. It's the anchor verse, essentially, of what I'm preaching about this morning. It says this, and Ron mentioned this as he was leading us in, in prayer this morning. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Be diligent. The old King James says, study to show yourself approved unto God as a workman who needeth not to be ashamed. Study. Be diligent. Also, in Ephesians 4.3, it tells us, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It requires an effort on our part. And this whole aspect of training in righteousness has to do with the application of diligence. Diligence. And we're going to explain, explore that in great detail in just a moment. Diligence, if you were to simply define it, would be this. It is the quality of working carefully and expending a lot of effort working carefully and expending effort. That's diligence. Now let's talk about how that might apply to us more specifically. In Hebrews 4.11, it tells us, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And here, the author of Hebrews was trying to tell us, that we have to make a real effort to make sure that we don't fall into the same era that the children of Israel fell into when they wandered for 40 years in in the desert because of their unbelief. They did not trust God. The spies came back from the promised land, and 10 of them said, We have no chance. Two, Caleb, Joshua said, We can take it. We can do it. But because of their unbelief and disobedience, they didn't trust God. And as a consequence, they didn't claim the promise. A whole generation missed out on that for 40 years as a result of their disobedience. So also we have a scripture in Second Peter 1.10 that says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. We need to be diligent in the way that we are listening to the scriptures and applying them to our lives. Also, we have in Romans chapter 12, verse 8 and 11, are he who exhorts, and here he's talking about our spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they apply to our lives. And he says, are he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. On Father in verse 11 it says, not lagging behind in diligent, fervent in spirit, and serving the Lord. It's important that as we exercise spiritual gifts, those things that God has given us, sovereignly as he will through the Holy Spirit, we exercise diligence, carefulness, in the way that we apply this in our life, and live all our life for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's look at how we would define diligence, and what you hear in a legal sense of the term is this definition. It is the care or attention expected by law in doing something such as fulfilling the terms of a contract or a covenant. It is required by law in many areas of our life, in buying a home or whatever it might be, that we apply and do due diligence, as it's called. Due diligence. That's the necessary work. So God has given each one of us the capacity of being diligent. It is our choice whether or not we will put that to use. Let's look at some synonyms for diligence. And here you have a choice. As I went through the dictionary... And the thesaurus. And I looked at these things, I saw there is a great way of describing this, and a way that's the positive aspect of it, that demonstrates and defines well what diligence is all about. And then there's a way of looking at it from the opposite point of view. But let's look at it from the synonym point of view. Diligence is (laughs) assiduousness. I knew I was going to have problems with that. But it's uh, being of that quality that we apply diligence in that way. It's industriousness. It is meticulousness. It is conscientiousness, if you will. It is thoroughness, being thorough in every respect, being attentive to detail, being careful, being persistent. These are some of the terms used to describe diligence. And you can see how they could apply in our life. The Greek term, spoda, is the the noun term, meaning diligence, is used four times in the New Testament, twice uh, in Romans by the Apostle Paul, once in Hebrews, and once again in, in 2 Peter. It means, essentially, this thing that we translate as diligence, being careful, being meticulous, paying attention to detail. Also... The Greek word meaning diligent, be diligent, the verb form of that, means to make haste or to, to give diligence, and that is translated as spodeza, and that's the Greek term that is used about six other times in the New Testament. But let's look on the opposite scale. Sometimes it helps to define something not only from the positive meaning of what it is, but a negative as to what it is not. Diligence. Being diligent means anything but being careless. The opposite of that being slipshod, or negligent, or inattentive, or heedless, rash, inaccurate, imprecise, reckless, and so on. Do any of us, as believers in Jesus Christ, ever want those kind of terms to apply to us? Of course not. We do not want those terms applied or used to describe us in the way we go about living the Christian life. So when we look at diligence, we need to consider that our salvation, which has been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus, which we celebrated this morning with communion, so precious that we would never, ever be haphazard are slipshod, are careless, are indifferent in any way, but that we would be diligent in considering what God has done for us. There is another verse of Scripture I want to point out to, and it is a subject of the whole text for a sermon in itself, needless to say, or several sermons. But Peter, the the Apostle Peter, in his second letter to the churches described it like this. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Diligence in the progression of these things is very important if we are to fulfill and realize this progression as described by the Apostle Peter. Let's talk now about the, the ultimate purpose of, of diligence. And that again is turning to 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and then 17. And the reason being that we need to be diligent as we apply the scriptures that are inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and training in righteousness is that so that so that the man of God might be adequate equipped for every good work that's the purpose that we might be equipped for every good work if you look at the various translations for instance the uh... english standard version says that the man of god might be at competent equipped for every good work the niv says that the man of god might be thoroughly equipped for every good work the New King James says that the man of God might be competent, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And in also the Amplified, it says that the man of God might be competent and proficient and fitted for every good work. These are just a few examples of the way that various translations look at the purpose of applying the scriptures in a diligent fashion so that we might be Equipped for every good work. Let's have a reminder for a moment that there's a purpose in this training. And that is found in Ephesians 6.12. And it says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of weakness, of wickedness, in the heavenly places we have a war that we're participating in whether we want to or not and it's a spiritual war spiritual warfare and it is important for us to understand the importance of why we need to be diligent in the way we are trained as believers in Jesus Christ I mentioned to you back in June of last year of the example of the necessity Of training. And in World War II, and that's been my hobby since I was 14, but in World War II, I can remember reading in more than one source, many sources actually, that one of the biggest problems that we faced in the European theater, or for that matter even in the Pacific theater, but especially in Europe, was the fact as manpower began to wind down as a consequence of casualties. That's the wounded or killed or captured or missing in action. As they, as they began to wind down, for instance, the first division, the Big Red One, had over 200% casualty rate from the time that it landed in North Africa in 1942 until it participated in the D-Day invasion in 1944. 200% casualties by the time there were or the the. A surrender document was signed in May of 1945. That meant that replacements had to come in constantly. And what was the tragedy of this is that those replacements were poorly trained. And as a consequence, being isolated from the men of the units that had been there for a while, inevitably, being isolated meant that they were usually the first ones to suffer damage or casualties, are to be killed or wounded in action. That is the tragedy of the lack of training. They just simply were not trained, and especially they were not trained to participate in warfare as a unit, a cohesive unit that could accomplish a military objective. That's what we face when we talk about spiritual warfare. That's why we must be trained in the ways of the enemy, understanding the schemes of the devil... And as a consequence, putting on the full armor of God that we might fight the good fight. So let's look also at another verse of Scripture as to the purpose, the reason why we need to be trained in spiritual warfare. It says in Second Corinthians chapter ten, verses three through five: For though we walk in the we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations, an ever lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's what we're charged to do. That's what kind of weapons we have, armed with the truth of God, Understanding the scriptures and being trained in righteousness in a manner that's diligent in every sense. Again, can you imagine sending troops out to battle with no training on the use of their weapons? That would be a fiasco in every sense of the word. That's about the only kind of training that took place with those units I was describing in the Second World War. They knew how to fire their m one But there was more to fighting a battle than firing your rifle. There were all sorts of tactics that needed to be integrated into the way they fought that war and the way that they fought the battle. And they weren't trained in that respect. So, as we look at this in the Christian context, we have weapons that are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, spiritual fortresses, Raised up against God. That's the kind of weapons we have. Let me ask you a question. Honestly, you don't have to answer it out loud, obviously. But in your own heart, are you trained in using the weapons of your warfare in the spiritual sense of the term? Is your scripture, knowledge of scripture, justified so that you can battle against the enemy and against the schemes of the enemy, of the devil himself? Now, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. We are instructed, instructed, exhorted, admonished in every sense of the word to be able to do it to this term. That we put on the full armor of God and understand what that armor is and how it is to be used in our battle against the evil one. Let's talk lastly about the efficacy of Christian training. And that means essentially... The efficacy, the ability to produce the desired results. Effective effectiveness in a kind of layman sense of the word. That is efficacy. And if we are efficacious in the use of our spiritual weapons, we can be effective disciples. We can also be victorious disciples. And God means for us to be victorious. Not to be casualties, but to be victorious, to be strong. It also means that we're fruitful. It also means that we can live courageously, that we we are free from fear and doubt in the way that we live our Christian life. It means that we are strengthened in our spirit, our innermost being, as well as in our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. We become mighty in spirit. It means also overcoming the enemy of our soul, Satan himself, as we participate in warfare against the evil one. Training in righteousness is vital, absolutely vital to our Christian life. We need to be trained. You know, I'm going to just uh, give you some invitation to think about, to pray about. Uh, we're going to be doing Equip 301, and and for you of, of those of you who might not be familiar with our Equip series of seminars, 101, Equip 101, essentially is required for membership in this church, and that tells you what the CNMA doctrine of faith is all about, what we believe, and why we believe it. It tells you the, about the distinctives of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and with respect especially to the fourfold gospel, Christ as our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. It also gives you the distinctives of our church. We're talking in terms of the vision that God is giving us, clarifying what that vision is. So that's Equip 101. Equip 201, and many of you have been through that, is about Christian maturity. We have membership, Maturity, and now we're going to be offering in the fall. Equip 301, which is essentially about ministry. What is our ministry as born-again believers? What are your spiritual gifts? And we're going to show you how to determine what those are and how to reinforce them and how to live them out in your day-to-day life. And Equip 401 is about mission. How can we fulfill the Great Commission that Christ has given us to go forth as we go to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to make disciples of all nations and teach them to observe all the things that Christ Jesus has commanded us. That's what 401 is all about. Eventually, we're going to have 501, which essentially is about mentoring. How can we mentor one another How can you, maybe as an individual, be a mentor to someone spiritually in the way that you live and encouraging them to come alongside them to really become an active participant in helping them live victoriously the Christian life? And 601, Equip 601 eventually, will be about spiritual warfare. And that's a seminar that's not going to be just one day. That's going to probably be a series of seminars I would think at least four or five uh, sessions would be required because you need to know how to use your weapons. The weapons of your warfare are divinely powerful. How can you use them? So I encourage you to think about this and to pray about this. If you are led by the Holy Spirit, I would welcome your participation to come alongside me in the development of our seminars 301 is about 90 percent done. 401 will be done before the end of next year, and will probably sometime, maybe in early fall or late summer, we will have equip 401, which will help you in terms of fulfilling the mission that God has given you through Christ Jesus in Matthew 28:19, 20, or in Acts 1:8, which is that we are destined to become a Christ-centered Acts 1:8 family meaning that we are his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. How can we be an Acts 1-8 family, Christ-centered, so that we are witnessing for him in the way we live daily? Also, I'd like to kind of close with this particular quote from A.W. Tozer. This is what he said. There is also the volitional attachment to Christ. If I'm going to follow Christ in complete and total commitment, I must do it by continuous act of my will. A Christian who tries to live on impulse and inspiration, who hopes to sail to heaven under, under, over the undulating sea of religious feelings, is making a bad mistake. A man who lives on his feelings is not living very well, and it is not going to last very long. It's more than feelings. Diligence is this. Essentially, it is the willful decision that you and I make as to whether or not we're going to obey and whether we're going to do it the way of the scriptures as they point clearly to us as to how we ought to live and move and have our being in him or whether we're going to do it our way. Diligence is an act of your will. It is your ability to choose to obey God and live it His way that brings glory and honor to His name. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have called us to be diligent in the application of our faith, in the way that we live as Christians for the glory of Christ. Father, convict and convince us, as only you can do by the witness of your Holy Spirit. Lead and guide us that we might decide to do this, which you have called us to do, to apply our training in a way that honors him, that is victorious, that is fruitful, that multiplies your kingdom that glorifies our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Enable us to do this, I pray, as your Holy Spirit bears witness with us. For his sake we pray. Amen.